Thank you. It's uh, good to be here. And it's good to know that I'm here. You know, the story is told of a man who told the following. He said, last night, he said, I dreamt that I died and I went to heaven. He said, and I looked around across the plains of glory. And I saw scattered about what appeared to be millions of parking meters. He said, actually, they looked like parking meters. They were on vertical stands, but the faces were like clocks. With one hand that could rotate all the way around the dow. And each had a nameplate attached to the base. He said, I flagged down a passing angel, and I asked what they were. And the angel explained that these were not parking meters, but sin meters. And they registered the sins a person currently was committing on earth. And for each sin, the hand clicked forward one notch. He said, well, I got a little curious, and I began looking around for my friends. I found my spouse's. And I found uh, hers just clicking right along. You see, we have three young children. I found my pastor's. Looks like his were broken. It never moved. It had cobwebs on it. He said, and then I looked for my best friend. His name is George Walsh. But George was the kind of guy that, you know, he thought a little, a little more highly of himself than he should. And, uh, you know, he took pride on being a little better than others. But I couldn't find his sin meter. So I looked everywhere, and finally I flagged down another angel to ask him where it was, and the angel laughed and said, oh, George Walsh's sin meter, sin meter's a bit of a joke up here in heaven. He said, you'll find it over in St. Peter's office. He uses it for a ceiling fan. <laughs> I like that. I like that, because the point is, is that, you know, often in life, it's uh, easy to miss or overlook our own sinful nature, to see it clearly, in fact, crystal clearly in the lives of others. And I, you know, I believe that I was coming dangerously close to that lion grateful that God stopped me before falling over the edge. Um, let me give you an uh, illustration or example of that. Last week, you know, I didn't feel that great and uh, started to wonder if... Uh, you know, whatever God wanted me to, you know, to do. After all, you know, if you wanted me to take a break or if it was just that time where um, I needed, you know, a week off or something like that. But I also knew that he had been sustaining me through this whole process and felt that, you know, if he could get me here on Sunday and hold me up and, and uh, strengthen me, that the least I could do is show up and be obedient. You know, and then I started to get a little hung up on my consecutive preaching streak. <laughs> and I started thinking I was like, you know, the Cal Ripken of, of, of Christendom. You know, I started to kind of count off and go, wow, that's like 126 in a row. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. And then I began to realize that, you know what? I'm taking my eyes off the Lord. And I'm putting my eyes on things that are superficial and things that don't make any difference. And instead of giving him all the glory and the praise, I start looking at 126 Sundays in a row or whatever it was in chapel and you know, and you get hung up on all that. And, um, and so fortunately, like I said, I hadn't fallen off the edge yet. And so I called Dave and said, hey, you know what? I, I don't think I'm gonna be able to go on Sunday. So you know, if, if, you, could, if you could fill in for me, that'd be great. And I'd appreciate it. 
And I'm grateful that, you know, that that was God's leading because Sunday morning when I got up, I, I couldn't move. And um, <laughs> as I lay there, I thought, wow, I'm sure glad I gave Dave, you know, at least a couple of days notice. <laughs> Which I'm sure he was very grateful for as well. Because, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we're walking by faith and, and not by sight. Because we don't know from day to day what exactly is going to happen. And uh, so <laughs> each day of the week, Dave will check in with me to see if I'm still living. And, uh, and if so, if I'm, st- I'm going to be able to preach on Sunday. And so, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, I listened to the Lord and I'm grateful that, you know, Dave is, uh, was available to step in and, and do the job that he does for the love of the Lord that he has and the, and the Word of God. And um, because I ended up in the hospital all week. Um, Monday, I went in for my blood work and they put me in the hospital until uh, 6 o'clock last night. And so, I'm tired. That's why I'm sitting in a chair. But at least I know I'm here. You know, I ended up with uh, 10, 10 more units of blood, five more units of platelets, uh, some nutrition, and antibiotics. And the biggest concern right now is that and if you would be praying towards this end, is that this chemotherapy that they're giving me, um, you know, if it doesn't kill me, you know, before the cancer does, I'll be surprised. But my, my white blood count, which is normally 4,000 to 10,000, um, was um, 100. <clears throat> so stay away from me if you don't feel good. I'll stay away from you too. Uh, but but um, it needs to be moving up so that I have an opportunity to fight whatever kind of disease, you know, or germs or whatever is out there. So anyway, but if you want to pray specifically, that would be a great prayer if you wouldn't mind praying specifically that, um, that whatever this, you know, this treatment that we're doing, that, you know, it will, will work to kill the cancer and, um, and, and uh, that my, my immune system will um, be built back up, and then we'll move forward from there. So anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of a quick update. I want to thank Dave for jumping in, and uh, try, I, I'm, I'm going to tell everybody in front of Dave, I promise to give you as much notice as I can, but it may not be much at times. So anyway, the point is this. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs um, 3, uh, 5 through 6, that we're to trust in the Lord with all our heart. And to not lean on our own understanding, but in our ways to acknowledge him. And that he'll direct our, our ways and our paths. He'll make them straight. And it applies to every area of life. And, uh, you know, and I thank God that, you know, we've got a board that is, you know, taking this one day at a time, walking by faith, <clears throat> not by sight. Because we just don't know what God's doing as far as how he's leading, what he's going to do, how he's going to lead, what he's going to accomplish through uh, this disease in my life. Uh, one, one of the things that you'll appreciate is that I spent a week ministering to people in the hospital, um, which was just phenomenal because I, I, I'm not a big hospital guy. So, you know, that's the way that God got me into the hospital ministry, 
But, uh, but Linda and I, you know, we spent a week there, and with the CD ministry, you know, we were able to give away a ton of CDs, and, you know, and as one nurse was hooking me up to something, she said, I'm sorry to do this, but can, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And she said, you know, do, do, you have a, do you have a minute to talk to me? My life is falling apart. And, you know, and, and, she, and she knows that I'm dying of cancer, and yet at the same time she knows and she knew that there was something that I had to offer in the midst of all of that. And that was just one of many examples of how God uses our circumstances in life to be able to promote his greater glory. And so when we look at where we are and what's going on and the strength that God is giving us and trusting him that, you know what, he knows what he's doing, um, that's true of every area of life. And so we need to start looking at our circumstances and trying to figure out how it is that we can use those circumstances and where we are in life uh, for the furtherance of the kingdom of God and for his glory and for his honor. And uh, with that said... I want to take a few minutes to uh, recap and then bring to a conclusion the series that I, try, I started to bring to conclusion a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is uh, Living Life in Light of Eternity. And uh, I want to kind of do a little recap and then uh, look at um, an example or a lesson on how to die, put it all together. We'll close that series out and then we'll move forward as the Lord leads as far as you know what he wants us to do next. But as far as the, um, the Bible is concerned, You know, we're told that, you know, there's the reality of our mortality. And that is that one thing that no one can deny is that we are all going to die. And the reason is quite simple. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, we're told that we are going to die because of the rebellion of Adam against God's commands. The Bible clearly teaches that the wages of sin is death. And that all are born into this world only ultimately to suffer and experience eternal separation from God following physical death. Unless there's a divine intervention to provide a remedy for that predicament. You know, the great news is that God does provide a plan. One of the, that's, that's filled with love and grace and mercy, kindness and hope. And as we look back at the garden, we note that God would not allow man to live in a sinful, separated environment. He, he, through his angel, prevented man from eating the tree of life and being eternally separated from God. And rather that death would go, you know, from, from being a monster in our life to a minister. That precious in the sight of the Lord would be the death of his saints. In other words, we're we're told that the wages or the consequences of sin is death. And so we recognize that we're going to die. And throughout this whole series, we understand that. We come to that conclusion. We're going to die. And we have a window of opportunity during this lifetime to get right with God. And there's only one way that that happens. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the only way that you and I can get right with God 
and the predicament of eternally being separated from God will take place is that if we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead, and is alive today and offers forgiveness to all who come to him, repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. That's what the Bible teaches, and that's what we believe, and that's what we teach as a result. And so from a very simplistic standpoint, the Bible says if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, then we are adopted into the family of God. This life is no longer our home. This place, this earth, is no longer our citizenship because our citizenship is in heaven. It's a permanent place. It's a place we look forward to. And in the meantime, we slowly decay physically like a collapsing tent. We're falling apart. And God uses that to reinforce the truth that I'm trying to tell you, and that is is that we're all going to die. So we have this window of opportunity to understand that and use this time to get right with God. Have you gotten right with God? Have you turned from your sin and have you trusted in Christ? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe he rose again from the dead? Do you believe he's alive today and offers you forgiveness? Do you believe he's the only way to the Father? Do you believe that, you know, he's it? It's all about Jesus. Do you believe it's Christ crucified? Period. End of question. You know, that's what the Bible teaches. That that's the only way that we can get right. We're falling apart. In his book, Immortality, uh, Lorraine uh, Uh, Bettner writes this of John Quincy Adams he said it is said that one day in his 80th year as he walked slowly along a Boston street he was accosted by a friend who said and how is John Quincy Adams today the former president of the United States replied graciously thank you John Quincy Adams is well in fact sir he's quite well And I thank you for asking. But the home in which he lives at present is becoming dilapidated. It is tottering upon the foundations. Time and the seasons have nearly destroyed it. Its roof is pretty well worn out. Its walls are shattered. And and it trembles with every wind. The old remnant is becoming almost uninhabitable. And I think John Quincy Adams will have to move out soon. But he himself is quite well, sir. Quite well. And with that, the venerable statesman, leaning heavily upon his cane, continued his slow walk down the street. I like that. How you doing? I'm fine. My house is falling apart. But other than that, I'm doing great. And that's how I feel. You know, how are you? I'm great. Why? Because you know what? I'm in God's hands. And I know I can trust Him. And I know what lies ahead. And I know what His promises are. And I know that, you know, it's not by any works that I do that I've been made right with God, but it's by everything that Jesus has done. It's by grace that we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God so that no one can boast. How's the rest of me? Well, you be the judge of that. (laughs) So, 
<laughs> we had some friends that came in from out of town from a couple of different places, Texas and North Carolina. And, a couple, and, it, and it's funny to watch the look on their face when they, when they would come into the hospital room and, and look at me and, you know, and then ask the question, how's it going? <laughs> now, if there's ever a time that question is really stupid, it, it's, it's like right around that type of a place and, and time. It's like, oh, well, hey, uh, how's it going? Well, how's it look? <laughs> you tell me, I don't know, I haven't looked in the mirror, but I'm thinking, you know, I might be leaving this house pretty soon. You know, but it's okay because our citizenship is in heaven. And those of us who have trusted in Christ, the Bible says when we're absent from the body, we go directly to be with the Lord. There's a day that's coming where we have a spirit, this extreme makeover physically, where we'll have a resurrected body. During that time where we're waiting for, uh, you know, Jesus to return and establish his kingdom here on earth, we will be with him. Uh, We will be judged by him as far as what we've done with what he's given us since we've come to faith in Christ. You know, and, and, and with that, you know, that knowledge and understanding the question you know that i had as i was going through this and just kind of recapping you know living in light of eternity how has it really changed my life how has it given me a sense of urgency what has it you know really the bottom line is this is that what has this cancer in my life and in our church, in our family, my family, you know, what, what has it done to motivate us to accomplish God's purposes? Because if it hasn't done anything, then it's just been a waste. It's been a waste. I know it hasn't been a waste for me. Because I, I've never had this sense of urgency that I have today, ever in my life. Do you have a sense of urgency? First of all, for yourself. For yourself. Are you right with God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Christ? Are you at peace with God through your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? If you are, then are you motivated to act upon it? You know to earn those spiritual rewards that we will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Are you a giving person or a selfish person? Are you a person who assists those who are trying to reach others with the gospel? Are you one of those people who get in the way, who tell other people, why and you know why something can't be done and why they shouldn't try and how hard it's going to be 
and what kind of problems it's going to create? Or do you care about nothing but pleasing the Lord and just drop everything else for Christ's sake? Do you pray regularly for His will to be done? Expecting miracles all along the way, but accepting His will? Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done? It's a great place to be. God, here's where we are this week. How are we going to make the most of this? Are you excellent at your job? We talked in great detail about it, but I'm just asking in kind of a, you know, reinforcing these things. Are you excellent at what you do? Because at the end of the day, we're only going to be remembered by the last thing that we do. I know guys that had great athletic careers, but they were only remembered by how they went out and very little about what they accomplished before that. Because we're only remembered by the last thing that we do. And with that in mind, the last thing that we probably will do that will have any impact on the lives of people around us is die. And so it's exciting to know that we can turn to the Word of God and look at an example or a lesson on how to die. That we can look at the life of Jesus and more than just His life, but His death. How did His death impact the lives of people around him as he was remembered by the last thing that he did. How did Jesus die? And if we can grasp how Jesus died and we can do the same, then we'll be okay. Because we're going to use the greatest platform that God gives us, which is our life and ultimately our death, to proclaim the goodness of God to those around us. So we'll take a look at these five things and uh, see what we can learn from them. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus died with the right attitude. And you know, when I say he died with the right attitude, it's important to understand that Matthew chapter 26, verses 38 through 42, if you want to look at that with me. Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> Verse 38, he says, Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little bit beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. 
yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, said to Peter, so you, are men, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time to pray. My father, if this cannot pass away, unless I drink it, <clears throat> thy will be done. As he came to the hour of his death, Jesus realized that unless it was the will of the Father to take this from him, then he will accept it and he would do exactly as God called him to do. If you're struggling with anything in your life and you get to a point where maybe one day you struggle with some physical ailment, then I would suggest that you die with the right attitude. And the right attitude is that, you know what? If this is your will, God, for my life, then that's okay with me. Because you're God, and I'm not. And sometimes it just gets to that point in my life where it's like, God, you know what? You're God, and I'm not. And you know what you're doing. And I don't know how you know a light switch works, yet alone how all the planets line up and the stars and everything else so why would I question you on whatever it is that you choose for my life and ultimately how I'm going to die it's okay to die with the right attitude I was in the hospital this week I had a guest who came to visit and I was saddened by our, our, our time together she said that she didn't want to come and see me because she was afraid to see how I was handling everything that was going on in my life. You know, the illness and the surgeries and the pain and all that goes with it. And she didn't want to come because she was afraid to see how it may have affected me. And when she walked in and we were laughing and joking and um, I don't know how we get away with it over there. I have no idea. I have no idea. We had 15 people in the room at one point. And uh, some of these guys were guys that were in our Rams Bible study from years ago. And, these, and, and you know what? And they're, one guy's louder than the next. And, and it was like, oh, man, you know? In fact, one of them left. One of them came that one, one morning and said, he goes, you know, <clears throat> I was walking down the hallway after leaving here and I was like we were noisy <laughs> it's quiet here I said dude we're on the oncology floor man you know there's not like a lot of life bursting forth around here and he's like man we were noisy but you know they were laughing and they were telling stories and we were joking and you know and, and just having a good time remembering and also you know knowing that God is in control of everything it was sad, and it was, it was you know, it, it, there, was, there was the human side of it. There, there was sadness. It was nice to see them, that they would come and we can spend time together. But the occasion wasn't, you know, the greatest. It was to say goodbye and uh, to see you soon, to see you again, see you around the block, whatever it is. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it came down to. But to have the right attitude, and one of the doctors came in, and spent half an hour with Linda and I, and he's there, 
I just love your attitude. I love visiting with you. I love spending time with you. And why not? And, I, and, and my heart was still broken about the gal who said, but I was afraid to come to see you because I was afraid to see how this would affect you. Because, and here's why. Listen carefully. Because we had a friend who really loved the Lord all of her life and was involved in ministry and couldn't say enough good things and she got cancer and she got really angry and she got really bitter and she blamed God and she followed the advice of Job's wife curse God and die And that's what happened to her soul. And she said, and I didn't want to see that again. And I thought, you know what? Man, we need to die, right? We need to die, right? We need to be that person that shows people around us that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we fear no evil because we know that God is with us. We need to be like Stephen, staring into the throne room of God, looking into the face of Jesus, saying, God, it's okay. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You do, and I trust you. You're the person that people in your life look to. You're the person who claims to have joy and peace with God and forgiveness and purpose and meaning. You're the person who claims to know God through faith in Christ. You're the person who claims that when you die, you'll be absent from the body and you'll be present with the Lord. You're the person who God put into the life of others to let them know that, you know what, no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. You're that person. And I'm that person. And I want every person that comes into contact with me and my wife and my children, and our board, and this church. I want every person who comes in contact with any one of us, I want them to walk away so built up and encouraged because when it's crunch time, we're walking strong with the Lord. We're not running from anything. We're walking hand in hand with him so that they can see that he is more than sufficient for our needs. Stephen, it's okay. Jesus, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit.
to have the right attitude. He also died at the right time. You know, it's pointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. <clears throat> so, you know, you can't repeat this adage enough. And this past week, you know, talking to the doctor reminded him, it's like, look, I'm not going to live a day longer, not going to die a day sooner than it's appointed by God. So you do your best, and we'll do our best, and then we'll find out what God's will is at the end of all this. And you know what? They don't know what in the world to say. (laughs) They just don't, because they don't talk to people like that. We're crazy people. We really are. To the world we live in, we're nuts. But you know what? That's okay. Because that's what God's word says, and I believe God's word. And you know what? And if it's crazy to other people, then that's something for them to deal with. But at the end of the day, it still comes down to, you know, hey, bottom line is this, is that, you know, not going to live a day longer, not going to die a day sooner, no matter what, you know, treatments that you do, no matter what you decide to do or not to do, you know, you can go crazy driving yourself, you know, nuts with all the different, and thank you all for all of your suggestions. On, on, you know, on how to try to stay alive, you know. I, oh, I, I, but I do know this. It's a lot of work trying to stay alive. I've told you that before. I'm going to tell you again. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I've been taking for granted for a long time. You know, like breathing. That's a good thing. Breathing has become a very good thing. Um, you know, blood didn't realize there's a lot that goes on in the blood you know platelets this and that and and Linda's great she's got a whole secondary career lined up after God calls me home because if she can explain all this stuff I I just don't don't even listen it's like what I I just go how long am I going to be in here that's my question pretty deep huh (laughs) but I'm like hey you know what just just tell me when I'm going home and uh but, but, you know, but that's what it comes down to. God's in absolute, total control. Look at John chapter 13. It says, uh, now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, this is his hour to, to, uh, to be turned over to die, and that he should depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own, and were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God, and was going back to God, rose from the supper table, laid aside his garment, taking a towel, he girded himself about, and he began to pour water into a basin, and began washing their feet. And so he came to Simon and he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, why do you have, what what I do you don't realize now, but you understand later. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, I have no part of you. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And so Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet 
but it's completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. And so he went on and he talked about leaving this example, this legacy for them. And the bottom line was that, you know, everything that Jesus did, he did according to the timetable of God. And the same is true in our life as well. Everything that God did in Jesus' life was according to God's timetable. Everything God does in your life and mine is according to his timetable. So God knows everything about us, and as a result, you know, we're going to die right on time. And it's just really, we have to be careful as believers to watch how we speak to others, to watch our, our vocabulary, you know, because sometimes we say really stupid things, and we need to keep our thoughts and we need to keep our words biblically based to make sure that when we're sharing with others who are struggling, that we make sure that they understand that, you know what, God is in total control. He didn't die young, didn't die old, didn't have his life cut short. You know, all these terms that I hear and I just kind of go, wait a minute, these, these shouldn't be coming out of the mouths of Christians. He died on time. And it's God's timing. And we fall into the trap that the world falls into. You know, why is it that good people die young? It's because there's no such thing as a good person. You know, and we go back to Scripture again. And we use it as a basis to teach truth. And so when we look at this, the most incredible thing about Jesus' death is that not only did he die young, but his work was finished. Think about that. His work was done. And so you don't have to live a long time to accomplish what it is that God has for us to do. You know, you're a young person, and you think you have years and years and years ahead of you to accomplish what it is that God has for you to do. But you know what? You may not have that time. You need to have a sense of urgency that, you know what? Today may be the day God calls you home. And so don't put off till tomorrow what it is that God has for you to do today from a ministry standpoint. Don't think I'm young and so I've got my whole life ahead of me to do these things that God wants me to do. And, you know, and I, and I guess you can think that if you're older, that you're running out of time because you are. So you better get busy, you know, and, 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 and do the things that you know that God requires of you because you're going to answer for that. So, you know, whatever God's putting on your heart, I don't know, but you need to get busy doing it. You know, you don't have to live a long time to complete God's work. In fact, you may not live that long, and he may not give you that much to do. Jim Elliott is a great example of that, a young guy who was a missionary who was killed as a young man. And here's, here was his statement that he made when he heard of other young, other young people who were dying in the mission fields. He said, God is peopling heaven. Why should he limit himself to old people? <laughs> that was good. 
It's like, hey, God's peopling heaven. So, you know, if he wants to get some young people there, if he wants some children there, if he wants some old people there, if he wants some middle age, I don't know. You know, he's peopling heaven. Who are we to tell him what the people heaven with? It's like, why not, man? Let him do whatever he wants to do. He's God. That's a good move on our part. All right. So let's take a look at number three. Jesus also died in the right way. John chapter 21. Eighteen through nineteen. I like this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself, and he's talking to Peter, and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands, and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you don't wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Peter, follow me. See, Jesus, you know, emphasized to Peter that he would die in a very specific way. That as he grew older that he would be basically helped and he would be handed over to those who would kill him. And that he would die crucified and Peter would choose to die crucified upside down according to history. But the bottom line is is that, you know, that was the sign that that was what was going to happen in his life. And so he knew ahead of time exactly how he would die. Personally, I don't really want to know. I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I just trust God that the day that it's time for him to call me home, he'll just call me home. You know, I don't want to know that oh, next trip to the hospital, okay, that's the last one, and that he'll call me home from there. You know, I, I don't want to know that. You know, I just want to know that, hey, one day at a time, that we want, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil because he is with us and he'll comfort us and just live one moment at a time. You know, we also learn from our Lord's crucifixion that he died for the right purpose. You know, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And his purpose was very simple. He came to be crucified. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to give his life a ransom for many. And so he knew and understood very clearly what it was that God wanted him to do and accomplish. See, we need to know what it is that God wants us to accomplish so that we can also, lastly, die with the right commitment. That we can die with the right commitment. It doesn't get any clearer than this. Jesus said in Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. You see, there's, there's nowhere else to turn. There's no, nowhere else to go. Jesus often asked his disciples, where are you going? Are you going to go with everybody else? Or are you going to live your life differently? The Apostle Paul challenged those in Rome by saying, you know, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you know what the will of God is, 
that which is good and excellent and perfect. See, we have a purpose in being here. And not only does our life mean something, but how we die will mean something. My heart's still broken as I think about the fact that how can we love the Lord all of our our life? How can we speak highly of Him? How can we praise Him daily? And then we get a disease and we turn our back on Him? Job said, naked I came into this world and naked I'm going out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think it's just an ignorance of who God is in our life and what he can do and what he does every day and all the things that we take for granted, the ability to be able to, to walk and to breathe and to function, that all our body parts work in conjunction with one another. Things that we don't even think twice about, we assume that we're owed, that somehow it's our human rights. There's a fable in the Middle East that's told of a Baghdad merchant who sent his servant to the marketplace to run an errand says, uh, when the servant had completed his assignment and was about to leave the marketplace, he turned a corner and unexpectedly met Lady Death. The look on her face so frightened him that he left the marketplace and hurried home. He told his master what had happened and requested his fastest horse so that he could get as far from Lady Death as possible, a horse that would take him all the way to Samara before nightfall. Later the same afternoon, the merchant himself went to the marketplace and ran into Lady Death. And he said, why did you startle my servant this morning? Lady Death replied, I didn't intend to startle your servant. It was I who was startled by him. I was supposed to see your servant in Baghdad this morning. I was surprised to see your servant in Baghdad this morning. Because I have an appointment with him in Samara tonight. I love that. We have an appointment. It may be in London or Samara or Baghdad or Taipei or Chicago or Los Angeles or Phoenix or, you know, wherever. Wherever it is, it's one appointment that we're not going to miss. It's one appointment that we will not miss. C.S. Lewis observed, the statistics on death are impressive. So far, it's one out of one. (laughs) Whether it's cancer, or an accident, or a hundred of other different diseases that lurk about waiting for an opportunity to devour us. Death awaits as a concrete floor awaits a light bulb that you drop. If you've ever walked out in the garage with a light bulb and drop it, you just know it's inevitable that it's going to hit the concrete floor and break. And it's the same thing with death. And what's interesting in closing is that the first person who ever died wasn't Adam. And it wasn't Cain, the man who would be a murderer. But it was Abel 
who the Bible tells us was a righteous man. But since there's none righteous, no, not one, the wages of sin in his life was death as well. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I smile when I saw a, uh, <laughs> I saw a business card not long ago, and it was, uh, and it was from a, an undertaker. And uh, everything he signed it had, it had been printed on his card, and it said, eventually yours. <laughs> I like that. Eventually yours. Well, you know what? Hey, y- you and I are eventually God's for all of eternity or the devil's for all of eternity. It depends on what you believe in your heart. It depends on who you believe upon. Have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Then the Bible says that that day will come when you'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord and that our citizenship is in heaven and we have nothing to fear because he is with us. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this day. We just thank you for your word, your comfort, your Holy Spirit, your presence in our life. We thank you that we are forgiven through, by grace through faith that we're saved and it's not a matter of works but it's a free gift from God so that none of us could ever boast. Lord, I thank you for giving me the strength and sustaining me to be here, for getting me out of the hospital to preach your word. I thank you for your love for me and my wife, my children, my family, our church body, for all of us who are just trusting in you with all of our heart. And not leaning on our own understanding, Lord, we're just coming to you and trusting you to lead us in this journey because we know that you are a good God and that you've got a purpose and you've got a plan behind everything that you do. We look forward to how you're going to use Kindred Community Church to be a beacon of light for the gospel in this community. We are not afraid of what lies ahead because we know that our future is in your hands. We can trust you. We love you because you first loved us. You have given us your only son. He died a just horrific death so that we would not have to be held accountable for our sins for those who believe. God, we're in awe of such love. How can anyone love us like that? And yet the Bible clearly teaches that you do. And we just fall on our knees. And we fall on our face. And we praise you. And we worship you. And we love you. For the wonderful God that you are. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen.